0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: I've been sexually sober 36 years and 7 months. And uh, uh, thanks for the help of Daniel and for Malcolm pushing me into doing this. Uh, we've been going through about 11 or 12 essay articles over the years that I have written. They've been put in the essay, and this is a very different format. It's a get-together where I read the, the article uh, as written, uh, and then the rest of the time gets left to your questions, And I try to give you the answers, or I make them up as I go along. (laughs) Um, Whatever I tell you, you always have to double-check, because I make this stuff up, (laughs) what page it's on and what book, and it's just my imagination. It might be in another book. So always double-check me when I quote anything, (laughs) except what I read out of these articles because it's all been uh, definitely double checked. Um, Let's open with uh, something that I heard that was so beautiful the other day, that when we breathe, and I'd like to start with breathing, when we breathe in, we're struggling. When we exhale, we're letting go. And so many people struggle in this program. They say they have difficulty with the concept that you lose whenever you struggle. Always lose. So you have to, you choose to let go. So we're going to do some inhales and exhales, and then the serenity prayer, and then we will begin. Serenity prayer, God, grant you the serenity of things I cannot change, courage, courage. Change. change the
2: things I can. No. No. No difference.
1: You know, every time I do this, I learn more, and I just learned, I noticed it before, but it really hit me to watch Malcolm put his hand over his heart, to feel also that serenity prayer. Man, cool. Thanks for teaching me, Malcolm. Um, By the way, one of my talks, one of the articles that we're going to be doing is uh, in a few weeks, based on a man who called me And he said, he he had the most sobriety in his group and why attend the meetings? He had the most sobriety and he triggered off for me an article about the stuff we learn never ends. And it's not our sobriety, It's being in this spiritual group that lets us learn more and more tools of a spiritual life. And it never ends. Uh, Okay. This article was written in uh, 2012, in December of 2012. And it overlaps into many steps because it's going to deal with shame, which is the first step issue. But it's also going to deal with 12th step issue of passing the message and giving it away. So I will begin. It's called Letting Go of My Secret Life. As I travel to many states and countries sharing my recovery message, I'm often asked the same question. When and how should I tell the people closest to me that I'm a member of SA? While each situation is different, I try to pass on general principles, the suggestions I offer are based on my own experience, strength and hope as a member with 28 years at that time of SA sobriety. These suggestions may not work for everyone, but they have worked for me. When I first came into SA, I was married and I had four teenage children. When I went to a meeting, I would casually say to my family that I was going to an essay meeting. Since then, I've also told my son's wives and eventually my grandchildren that I'm involved in SA. I've shared with my in-laws as well as my daughter-in-law's parents, and I've shared with bosses and coworkers. I've spoken frankly about this issue to clergymen at my places of worship and with fit physicians who have treated me. Last but not least, I've shared my essay involvement with certain friends who I see socially. However, when I say that I have told them about my essay involvement, I do not mean that I told them my entire story. Most often, I would merely say that I had a problem with lust and the program was helping me overcome this problem. When I got frightened about breaking my anonymity, I remember what my sponsor would often say. He'd say, I've never had anyone lose respect for me, for my recovery but I surely had people lose respect for me when I was in my active disease. Following are some of the principles that have worked for me in sharing my recovery with others. One, practice honesty. The old me will act out again is an axiom I've heard in recovery rooms. I had to be willing to change my old ways if I expected to stay sober. The old me lived a secret double life. Two, I cannot continue living a double life in recovery, although I've seen others try to do so. Some members tend to keep their membership in the essay secret from their loved ones. When they go to a meeting, they don't even tell people close to them where they are going. If asked, they will lie about where they are going to avoid answering the question. This behavior often leads to more distrust from others. Some members ask, if I say I'm going to an essay meeting, won't won't they then ask me what I need, why I need such a meeting? Perhaps they will, but my experience is they don't. If they do ask, I have some suggestions in the following sections regarding what to say. Number three, let go of the shame. I've accepted step one of my life, which means that I acknowledge I have an illness. I've accepted myself as a sick man who's getting well. Without this acceptance, my only explanation for attempting sobriety is that I'm a bad man who's attempting to get good. But that thought brings me back to shame. And if I'm in shame, I will have trouble being happy, staying sober and telling others that I'm in recovery. If I believe that I'm bad, I won't be willing to tell others about the malady. Four, tell only the simple truth. My sponsor taught me the concept of the simple truth. He would say that addicts either lie or they say too much. But in recovery, we learn how to tell the simple truth. My wife often reminds me to answer the question I'm being asked, not the question I think I'm being asked. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, we took a trip to the SA International Convention in Salt Lake City. The day before the convention, we decided to tour the Mormon Tabernacle area. After the tour, our guide asked, what brings you to St. Louis? Salt Lake City. I replied with the simple truth, a conference. What type of conference, he asked. I said a recovery conference. He asked what type of recovery conference, and I said a 12-step conference. He persisted. What type of 12-step conference? I continue to give him the simple truth. I'm attending a conference of Sexaholics Anonymous. The guide replied joyfully, thank God I have finally found someone who knows about SA. I have a friend who desperately needs help, and we have not been able to find SA here in this city. By giving this man the simple truth, I was able to carry the message to someone who needed it. A note of caution about disclosure. I did not tell my wife, no, I'm sorry. I did not tell my whole essay story. I would just merely tell them where I was going when I left the house. From the beginning, I would say I was going to an essay meeting. My teenage children never asked me what that was. This was all done in a natural way. I told my wife the simple truth that I was an essay because I had a problem with lust. This was no surprise to her. Regarding full disclosure, I've heard some members say, my therapist told me I have to tell my spouse everything. While a therapist might suggest this type of disclosure, I have seen that full disclosure can cause irreparable harm to a marriage. I'm relating this from a 12-step viewpoint. In our literature, we are told not to say too much, especially when we first come into the program. This is from the essay book, page 124. Two in- To the newcomer, at the very front of the white book, we read, a note of caution. We suggest that newcomers to Sexaholics Anonymous not reveal their sexual past to a spouse or family member who does not already know of it without careful consideration and a period of sexual sobriety and even then, only after prior discussion with an essay sponsor or group. Few things can so damage the possibility of healing in a family as a premature confession. Great caution is advised here, essay page three. Input from the sponsor is crucial here The sponsor could see better than we, whether we were merely trying to dump our guilt or were sincerely trying to undo the wrong and make it right, essay page 124. The AA literature also insists on discretion and specifically warns warns against telling too much, This is from the 12 and 12, page 86. We cannot, for example, unload a detailed account of extramarital adventuring upon the shoulders of our unsuspecting wife or husband. And even in those cases where such a matter must be discussed, let's try to avoid harming third parties, whoever they may be. It does not lighten our burden when we recklessly make the crosses of others heavier. The big book also discusses this principle. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. If we are sure our wife does not know she, should we tell her? Not always we think. If she knows that we have been wild in a general way, Should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be a justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we have often found this the best course to take. AA, page 80 to 81, the book. When the time came for me to tell my family the reason why I am an essay, I read the problem from the essay brochure to them. I gave the brochure to anyone who wanted one. One day when my 35-year-old son came to visit with his girlfriend, he asked me why I'm an essay, and I offered him the brochure. He responded, I don't want you you to read the, the brochure to me. I want to know your story. His girlfriend was present at the time. I asked whether he was sure he wanted me to say this in front of her. He said, yes. I was frightened, did not know what to say. Then I prayed and asked God to speak for me. Out of my mouth came my qualifier that I say at the beginning of meetings. I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic, and my disease took the form of compulsive sex with self, obsessive sex with my wife, and promiscuity, predominantly gay. There was a deafening silence. You could have heard a pin drop. Then I asked, do you have any questions? All of a sudden, this grown man began to cry. He said, Dad, I want to tell you how proud of you I am for what you are now doing with your life. As the big book says, the alcoholics past thus becomes the principal asset of the family and as frequently it is almost the only one, big book, page 124. I believe that for those of us who are really willing and wanting to live a sober life, the God of our understanding will give us the strength to break free from the double life. Tell the simple truth to your loved ones when it is appropriate. And when you plan to share with your family, check with your sponsor first, ask at meetings how others have done it, experience the freedom of letting go of shame and standing tall in sobriety. Then we can all lift our heads, look the world in the eye and stand
3: free. We have Dennis has his hand up. So go ahead,
0: Dennis. Thank you. Uh, My name is Dennis, Recovering Sexaholic. Um, When I did a disclosure with my wife and my therapist, uh, I definitely spoken with my therapist and with my sponsor ahead of time and did not do a full disclosure. Today, um, a lot of my sponsees, and it, it seems to be getting so much more popular these days, is that the therapists are insisting on lie detector tests. Um, How do I guide my sponsees through that? What's your recommendation, Harvey, on this new, I guess it's a new thing happening here in, uh, definitely here on Long Island for sure, is the the dreaded lie detector test. Thanks.
1: Well, there's nothing to dread if you're sober. (laughs) this is a perfect question great question we don't get in the middle of this just like we don't get in the middle of if someone has chest pain should I go to the doctor or not? That's between them and the therapist. What I do, hopefully, is read them the book. Tell them to bring it up at meetings. There's a tendency of our addiction to play one side against the other. And sponsees, early on, will notoriously do this. They will go from one sponsor to another. They'll say, but my psychologist said this. They'll say, my therapist said that. Uh, There's no end to it because the disease lives in the chaos, okay? So I just dance away from it, and I read the book to them, and I say that's between you and your wife and your therapist and then i tell them i've been sober over 36 years now i have never done a disclosure to my wife ever now the fact i kept giving her venereal diseases that i was bringing men home to live in our house that she found motel slips. I mean, other than that, that happened during my disease. But I've been honored to hear my wife's Al-Anon talk, uh Esinon talks. And she shares how at Esinon meetings a wife will come in so excited to say, Oh, my husband did a full disclosure. And then two weeks later, come in and say, oh, my husband did another full disclosure. (laughs) A few weeks later, another. How can we do a full disclosure when we haven't even disclosed it to ourselves? If I remembered what I did, my sponsor would tell me, Harvey, if you would have remembered Too fast. All you did, you might have gone and hung yourself. He said, what a gift God gives us (laughs) that we don't remember all this stuff at first. I get memories 35 years later, I say, oh, my God, I couldn't have done that. Yes, you did, Harvey. (laughs) So we're not going to get as much into that as into the concept of dishonesty. If you have to make up a story where you're going at night, you're lying. I I am not a goody-goody. I don't. I don't lie, not because I'm afraid of going to heaven or hell or all that stuff. Or well, that's morally right. I don't lie because if I lie to you, I will start lying to me and lose my sobriety. So I can't miss, sneak out of a house. This, that was my old behavior. That's simple.
0: Thanks, sorry.
1: How, how you deal with that is based on this simple truth. <clears throat> My wife also shares in her talks, I should have given, gotten permission from her to say this, but they're on tapes anyway, so I'll make an amendment to her later if I shouldn't share this. <laughs> but I've heard her say it all over. She said, What happens are the sexaholics get better. They've done a full disclosure, they tell their wives, I love these blonde women, tall blonde with long legs who wear heavy makeup. The addict gets better, he's better. But every time they go to a restaurant, The wife is casing the whole place, looking for a tall blonde with long legs so she could protect the situation. Heart disease starts flaring up. Now this is thin lines. And I'm not talking for essay. I'm not telling you what's right or wrong. I'm just telling you what the book says And my experience, strength and hope, and it's your job to look it up yourself. Okay? Make sure I'm not taking things out of context. Whatever. Now, I had an experience. I was asked a few years ago, uh, maybe six years ago, to speak in Edmonton, Canada. My wife and I were asked and brought there. And we had a few hours free, and we went to that giant mall. And I was really spiritually uplifted. I don't know why. And I looked at my wife. This is 30 years into recovery almost. I said, honey, do you want to hear more of my story? And she said, absolutely not. And I found myself crying, making the deepest amends I ever made to her. 30 years later, it came from a very special part in me. A, a general amend. I am tr- truly one make an amend for all the harm and pain i caused and ask your forgiveness. You know, I'm a slow learner. Jess would say who had a year more than I had was that kind of basically first year once things started to grow. Roy had had the fellowship for about six years before that, but it was real small. But that year when Jess came in, Sylvia, and you know, Jess was always into helping us, except that this is uh, a disease, and to easy does it, and to really kind of handle things as best we can. When he said this, the most amazing thing he said, "We old timers." are the sickest of the sick. Or else we couldn't have lasted handling what we go through in recovery from other sexaholics. (laughs) But in another way of saying this, I'm a real slow learner. I tell my sponsees all the time, man, if you stand on my shoulders, you're going to see much further than I could ever see. You know, I was still raging with 25 years of sobriety. It's taken me a very long time. And those of you who have come in later have this group consciousness of healing that we did not have. You know, Art was there with me in the beginning. You know, there were just a handful of us. The blind leading the blind. <laughs> but okay, let's get to the next
3: Thanks, Harvey. So, okay. So, the next question is uh, further talking discussion about this uh, about this disclosure within the within the family. And I had similar questions and thoughts that I wanted to ask about. The uh, this person says that uh, in, in to reference what you were saying about how it could ru- ruin the relationship if you do a disclosure. Um, discussing this person's been discussing it with their therapist, who is pro the essay program. And uh, he told me that that I don't have to jump to disclosures. But if my wife asks me, I should answer every question. It's just the right thing to do. He explained he's not here to keep my marriage. He's rather here to guide me to do what's right. Obviously, keeping the marriage is a great plus. And uh, this person wanted to hear your thoughts about that.
4: Yes,
1: I talked about that last week, I think. That one son who asked me, to share in front with his girlfriend and a year later we were together and he started asking me about different men in my life and asked me if I had sex with people he knew that I was friendly with. And he asked me about three or four and I answered him. And after about the fourth or fifth one, he asked And I gave him the simple truth. I said, I'm getting too uncomfortable talking about this now. The simple truth. If your wife asks you a question and that happens to be my style, My daughter-in-laws, my um, relatives, I always say, if you want to ask me a question, go ahead. I will give you a simple answer. Uh, But then again, I might not want to answer. And I usually always answer. The main question most people are concerned about is Am I safe with minors? That's the main thing on people's minds. Because everybody has skeletons in their closet <laughs> or some kind of shame of guilt. They might not be addicts. You know, I, one of my sons say says, Dad, every family has a story. (laughs) Every family has a story. And since 10% of the population are alcoholics, probably sexaholics, in every family within 10 people, you're going to have an addict anyway. You know, people aren't anyone's fool. I've really not had anyone want to hear my story at home. So yes, I, I. And so I say to everyone, if you have a question, please ask me when you're ready. I, I don't know if I've told this story, but there was one of the most beautiful spiritual men I had ever met in recovery. I sponsored him for 10 years, maybe. And he was a priest. And in his retirement years, he was in the program. In his retirement years, He went out of, uh, went to Africa to help people there. And he didn't have family. So he'd come to our home. He lived across the states, but he'd come to our house and stay with us. And he comes in and my, one of my daughter-in-laws, the little grandchildren were there. One of my daughter-in-laws walks right up to me as a very tall man. She was quite tall. She gets almost in his face and says, are you one of those people we read about in the newspaper? Are you one of those priests? And he looks at her with the most beatitudinal look and says, No. But I am so glad you asked because it's on everybody's mind. They just won't ask me. (laughs) And she was immediately fine. She knew he was in the program because he was my friend. (laughs) And she let him be around the kids anytime. Now, it's not a particular Religion, it's in every religion. (laughs) No one's exempt from this disease. We had a president many, many years ago who would say, genius is no snob. It could, anyone could end up being a genius. Well, addiction is no snob. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your religion is, what your beliefs are. you're an addict, you're an addict. It it just is one of those diseases. Next question.
3: Okay, so um, slightly similar but different question. I did a full disclosure to my wife six years ago and was sober since. I recently crossed a certain line Although I didn't act out in person, I guess he means with another person, but my sponsor felt I should reset my sobriety date. Or maybe he doesn't mean that. Anyways, that I should share it in meetings and with program members. But I didn't tell my wife. Should I? It will hurt her a lot for sure and will definitely affect our relationship at least for a good while.
1: By the way, I gotta digress. I know it is someone from which Poland. I spent almost a week there. It was the most wonderful experience. And I just loved the city there, the town, lovely. Glad to to see you. Man, this program, you stay sober, you get to meet people from all over the world. What a, a joyous experience to be at one with everyone. Never, my sponsor would say, we never have to be alone again. So, going back to that question, (laughs) who can answer it? The guy's either... (laughs) loves his sobriety or he has, <laughs> what can I say? The problem is what, not whether your wife knows unless you could give her a venereal disease. The problem is you're fooling yourself. <laughs> you're not fooling her. <laughs> you're fooling yourself. I have an allergy whenever I take, if I'm allergic to peanuts, and I don't look at the bottle to see if the oil is made out of peanut oil. I'm the one who gets sick. To thine own self be true? Naturally, if you're having unsafe sex with someone, you, you have to tell your wife. So she could get tested. Tested. In my opinion, this is just my opinion. Okay, next
3: question. All right, uh, go ahead, Ilya.
0: Hi, Harvey. Uh, thank you so much for your share. Thank you, Daniel, for posting this and everyone else who's involved. My question is, um, what would you advise for someone who would say the simple truth, but because of his or her religious uh, background or upraising where you know this would seem like a moral issue and they would get like alienated from the community uh, so for sure even if alcoholism so much so about sexism what would you say just even if they are saying the simple truth you know like how to handle that
1: thing. I'd say it statistically runs in the family if you got it someone in your family got it and if you want to keep it a secret, go for it. But how can, and I'm going to get to that other piece, how can we ever do 12-step work, which is a core of our recovery? If I don't give it away, I can't keep it. My sponsor would say this is not an occult for people who don't get their language English, isn't their uh, main language? Occult means a secret organization. This is not an occult secret organization. It's a fellowship of men and women who share an experience, strength, and hope. And I tell people over and over, from religious backgrounds, you don't have to go into details. You could just say, I want to have my mind coordinated with my outside practices. That's all you got to say, that I need a program to help my mind get clean, cleaner, to match my life outside. You can't imagine what these lies do to families. There are some groups of people that go away on these retreats and they need their parents to watch their children. And their parents keep saying, where are you going? Where are you going? And they kind of browse it off. The parents' mind runs away with themselves. Are they going to be changing their religion? Is this some groupy thing? <laughs> What's going on? Produces fear. And if you think there are secrets in a family, you are wrong. <laughs> The family always knows something's not right. They don't know what it is, but they know something just isn't going right. First of all, most of us have had this since kids. Parents have often discovered us doing things, or at least suspected it. And many people, especially in our fellowship, who have been sexually abused and end up abusing other people, chances are their parents were abused, too. Abuse runs in communities.
3: Next question. Okay. Um, I've done a full disclosure. I've gone through a lie detector. I've got five years in the program and over two years of sobriety. Many times my wife will ask me at the end of the day if I was triggered or when we're out, she'll ask me on the spot if I'm being triggered. I want to be honest, but I don't want to use her as my therapist or my program fellow. I don't know what to say many times. And I also have shame.
1: See, see how the emphasis gets detoured to the spouse. If you're still getting triggered where your wife's noticing it, where you're having a swivel head, which many of you have, you see an attractive woman and you can't take your eyes off of her. And the wife disappears. I once was at an essay conference where in the middle of this deep discussion, this guy and I, and this gorgeous woman walks by in the background I became invisible. It was the most uncomfortable feeling I had experienced in years. The guy got into a, he was just mesmerized watching this woman. He he couldn't get his eyes off of her. Well, the wife's noticing this. So the issue isn't about what your wife's saying. The issue is how you're going to learn one day at a time to take enough medication that day that you're not actively lusting. Now, noticing a beautiful woman is very different than getting lost in that beautiful one. The first notice is on God. The second look is on us. Now, I'm just
3: But what if the issue is not the swivel head and the issue is the wife that's still dealing with her own trauma?
1: None of your business. You're not her caretaker. Honey, if there's anything I'm doing that's making you uncomfortable, please tell me. Maybe I'm not aware. It was a real problem in my home. When I asked my wife for sex, my wife would say, I saw it in your eyes. I saw it in your eyes. I knew you were going to ask me. She'd get all upset. I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. She'd get all kind of agitated. Years later, I went blind on one of my eyes (laughs) in 201, I guess what? 19 years. So I had like 15 years of sobriety or something. So now I say to my wife, Do you see it in my one good eye, honey? Do you see it? If you don't get a sense of humor, you can end up crying. I'm telling you, a lot of this is, you know, a lot of this is marital interactions anyway. If a word about sex would be about something else, you know. We're relationship cripples. If we're not having sex, we don't know what to do. We're love cripples. And I'm gonna say it again, it sounds so strange that it it almost embarrasses me, but I don't get embarrassed hardly (laughs) Now it's much. I have no idea about romance. I only knew about sex. And I am learning so much by watching South Korean soap operas on Netflix, man, these people just don't have the you know like two PGs or whatever, but they don't have actual sex in their shows. Thank goodness! All of a sudden, the guy will touch his girlfriend's face or his wife's face, tenderly. I'll say, what's that about? I've had to learn to say, Nancy, I'm so glad I married you. Nancy, you're so beautiful today. And that's not to try to have sex with her because we only have sex at a certain time and once a week and we don't have So it's my actually lovemaking. The true lovemaking. That has to do with romance, kindness, compliments. Appreciation. Giving rather than taking. Doing the dishes when your wife or your husband least expects it. Learning the other person's love language. And it's not approved, so I'm not going to bring it up. But there's a book about there are different love languages. And in a marriage, we aren't always talking the same language. And if you don't learn the other person's language, it's like being in another country and not being able to communicate.
3: Next question. Okay, I am going in the order they came, uh, so we will get to the guys with the hands up. Um, this is uh, on, on a similar topic, but also great thoughts for, for, for anyone who's sponsoring anyone. Uh, there's an old timer who's pushing my sponsee to disclose. I have some very different feelings for them as of now. How should I guide them?
1: I don't understand the question. What do you mean an old sponsor?
3: An old timer. There's an old timer that, yeah, so the sponsor is obviously speaking to a few people. The, the old timer is yeah, well, pushing them to this. That's a classic
1: problem. Right. Classic problem of not surrendering and getting a sponsor when you ask the sponsor a question, you either don't ask, but if you ask, surrender to what he says. And don't go shopping around. Because we're manipulators. And if you don't trust your sponsor's recommendations, find a new sponsor. Sponsor. How can you have a sponsorship without total trust? Now, I have some of the closest relationships with sponsees over decades. But they know me. I know them. They don't ask me if they have a different political issue. Who should they vote for? They know me. They know them. That's not what we're talking about, a dictatorship. It's when you have a conflict and you want help, you ask someone you trust. Hopefully it's your sponsor. And then you surrender. And if I can't get a hold of my sponsor, I call one of my sponsees. And I ask my son, see the question. And whatever they tell me to do, I do. Or else, why am I asking the question? Now, a lot of times, I will get calls from all over the world with, Them saying, my sponsor asked me to call you. That's different. But I had to learn through the help of my sponsor to filter the calls I get from people I don't know. And the first thing I ask is, have you asked the question you're going to ask me to your sponsor? And if they say no, then I say, then I'm going to harm you by diluting your relationship. Go ask him. Now, if they say, I have asked him, then my sponsor taught me to say, have you done what he said? Before you start getting a second opinion Surrender is a very difficult
3: process. Okay,
1: next question.
3: Go ahead, Asha.
1: Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Um, Harvey, my question is in regard to saying the simple truth about when I go to a meeting. um, Are you recommending... I'm um, saying the simple truth that I'm going to a meeting to everyone or specifically only people that specifically only my family, like let's say I'm at a very, very, very close friend's house for a weekend or something. And I want to go to
2: a meeting. Should I be saying the simple truth that I'm going to a meeting? If the answer is yes. And I'm open to saying the simple truth. What do I do about my wife not allowing me or not be, not
1: willing for me to disclose to others when not needed, even the simple truth. Cause what if they may
2: ask what kind of meeting, um, and etc cetera, etc cetera. thanks
1: thank you for a good good question you only answer if someone asks you and if you notice what i did in salt Lake City they asked and i said i'm at a conference let's say sa conference Then they asked further and further. People just basically don't, they're worried. Where are you going out this time of night? Why are you leaving? Or they've heard rumors about you and they're afraid you're going out to act out. Many of you come from small communities. People know all about you. (laughs) You just don't realize it. Might be distorted, but they know about. And I'm at a loss for any answers that deal with wives, because no one would ask me these questions if you had diabetes, and your wife said, why are you taking insulin this morning before making breakfast for the children? This is my disease. My wife has no role in it unless I'm in relapse. That when your wife and your family see the glow, see the change, they're not going to ask you too much. Now, there is a man on this call who I love dearly who went through a lot of trauma due to his sexual addiction and wrote letters to people for certain reasons, telling about his disease. This man indirectly, probably without ever knowing it, helped more people than many, any of us might ever imagine because he got the disease out of the closet for other people who were hurting and don't know what to do for their family. I went to my religious service and this nurse was working for me and she went to the same service. She walked up to me one day and she said, I've heard what you've been doing and I can't work for you. I can't have anything to do with you. I got into sobriety soon after that. And within two years, she was asking me to help her son with a problem. People's sense were okay. But they also know when my wife uses the term, I feel slimy. I feel something slimy. She could pick out an active acting out sex addict immediately. We don't even know we're putting out the vibes. That we're undressing people. They feel it. So the main point is just to get sober and everything else tends to take care of itself. Statistically, most wives are not going to divorce you or husbands. Sometimes it happens. But I've seen it happen more in reverse. I have a sponsee, he got sober, his wife couldn't handle his sobriety. To force them for being sober after six months, the dance changed. It's kind of very quiet. Am I bit
2: <laughs> answers or hi? Hi, here's Elaine from Germany. Hi, we hi. have, we have oh. an
3: order of people. Asking questions, so
2: right, oh, right. Oh, but I gotta make an exception free link. Come on, <laughs> no, it's just I have no question. I just want to say I had some success to uh, to reveal myself, not with my family, she died already. Uh, almost, I have a stepfather and I don't want to bother him with this. He's, he's 90, but I, I may I, I opened a group nearby and I had wonderful gifts, you know, out of this, and there are only two men came and stay and, and get to know the Munich group as well. And they love SA now, they are always here. And also when I'm in open meetings, AA meetings, I I introduce myself as a sex addict, whenever appropriate, you know. And then also someone now, uh, having big ears, you know. And so I came to SA, because some people reveal themselves. Otherwise, I I never would know it. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. you. Next question.
3: Go ahead, Guy. Guy from Russia.
5: Yeah. Hello, everyone. So when reading the, the, the article you were about to read today, this morning, it took me back to how I started the essay because it was not very traditional, I got to speak to a very experienced um, SA member. And while speaking to him, he saw how indifferent I was to my sickness, to my illness. And I just wouldn't do anything but continue to lust while speaking to him. And eventually he pushed me to, to, to uh, tell, tell my wife everything I've been doing to confess to her. And after about four or five months of, like, speaking to him, my wife gave birth. And after a month uh, of her giving birth, I, I confessed to her. Um, and it's been about over a year now that, you know, I confessed to her. And what's happening right now, first of all, I'm, I'm super grateful to the guy and to him pushing me because probably otherwise nothing, not, nothing would have changed. But what's happening right now, as you might understand, is that you know she knows where I have been all those years and what I was doing all those years. So she has a very, very difficult time trusting me. So it's like some kind of obsessiveness about always controlling me. You know, demanding me sending her pictures all the time because I can use any chance I have. You know, to to do something bad. And I'm sober. I- Uber and I feel good in my sobriety and I'm trying to her, but it just doesn't help. So, you know, when there are cases where it's the other, right, the other way around, where you go clean before you actually become fully sober, like what's the route for someone as me, you know, what the way I should, what's the way I should go with my wife now that she's so suspicious and so, so obsessive with me? Sorry, thank you.
1: The question brings up, and it's so good, this. I forgot to tell you this important piece, because of my bias. Those full disclosures, I said I've seen a lot not work. But I've seen about 50% that do work who had it with the therapist. It's a, a, probably like anything else, it's a crapshoot. It's dice. So not everyone who has full disclosures have messed up situations. I found where at least half, and perhaps now it's even better with people more trained. You know, um, different strokes for different folks. Um, it's very difficult without this. You won't be able to do it, except stay sober and let her see the change until she gets her own group of Esenons to start dealing with her issues. There's many of these wives, like the husbands, bring a lot of luggage into the marriage. You know, we're human beings and everyone brings in their own luggage. And many people are children of alcoholics and learn to take care of their parents or their husbands, all kinds of variables. So esenon is a real important thing for the for the family members. And my wife refused to go at first, but eventually she went and she's been going for decades now. And it's been a real gift for her. Is there an Essanon group in your area?
5: Well, there there probably is. She had a she had a call with uh, someone from Essanon, which I I got the contact from my from my from my sponsor. But um, after two calls, she was like, you know. She, she, she thinks the whole thing is too crazy, you know, and she just, does, she doesn't want to take part in it just yet. So, but I guess that's the route. So I'll just have to try harder well, to have. Well,
1: there are some good things, even in negative things.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Now with Zoom, it could be real exciting for her to meet people from all over, and not just be dependent on one call. And, um, you know, see if you, I know my wife attends quite a few SAN on Zoom meetings. And so they're out there. You might invite her to one of these. And every time, this is what my sponsor taught me every time you invite her, you are giving her a gift. What she does with that gift is her own business. But you give her the gift and let go of the reason. Uh, but, Will, let's take a few deep breaths in and out. Serenity prayer. God, yeah. grant me the prayer, serenity to
5: accept, to accept the things I exactly. exactly. cannot
4: change.
5: Change the things I cannot. The wisdom to know the difference. So uh, I will not mine be done. Let me. Uh,
1: next week, it will be. Uh, the topic will be a program based on joy and love. A program based on joy and love. Uh, the joy of living is our theme. If you don't get something better than an orgasm or as good as one, you're going to go back. So in recovery, you need to get the joy of living and then a whole new world opens up
3: on that happy tone. <laughs> well, that tone of joy. Sona, you have a question?
1: So the meeting's over, but whoever wants to stay certainly can.
6: I have a question. Can I Go ask ahead. my question? Thank you. Yes. Uh, hi, Harvey. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, 10 years ago, I was diagnosed as bipolar, uh, at early stages, uh, I was this, uh, strong urge to talk in me. Bipolars have this. Um, I went through my first sexual trauma before the, uh, before getting diagnosed as bipolar. Um, you know, When I was studying my MA in another city, you know, uh, when I returned to my um, home, I couldn't talk. uh, You know, it was a huge thing happened to me, huge thing uh, in Iran society happening to a woman. Uh, I I didn't, I couldn't talk with anybody about it. I didn't know what had happened to me. I didn't dare to talk. Uh, I was back to home. I had a sleep tongue for two months. Uh, and my mom later told me that she found out what happened to me uh, because of those period of sleep tongues. And she sar- sarcastically later also said to me that my dad had dream about my trauma uh, when I went to Shiraz. Um, I-, I was so um, desperate. I didn't know who or i didn't know the meetings i didn't know anything about program i uh, just had my brother to talk about it and he was the first per- person i had full disclosure and you know it's uh, awful in our society to tell a man about this uh, but we were so close you know we are so close family and i was so close to my brother and i told him uh, that what happened to me, and I actually broke him. Um, uh, later, he came to program to uh, other programs, uh, Coda, and knew about program. Uh, uh, and this air to talk uh, still is with me. After ten years, it happens once a year. I take uh, talk something uh, to my closest. Uh, uh, family members, uh, without knowing I, I'm talking about, uh, without knowing I, what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, I, I, um, you know and uh, this happens. Uh, and I see some people who come to meetings uh, have this urge to talk uh, how uh, could I be uh, of uh, some help to them and of my to myself? Uh, about this uh, uh, urge to talk that uh, this disease that I have has in it, inherent in it, you know, thank you.
1: Sonia, one thing it's great because you don't have to be alone. There are many women in Iran now who are in recovery. So you're certainly not by yourself. Uh, This urge to talk might be just saved for your sponsor. And in our meetings, they time us, especially in LAA meetings. So when someone has an urge to talk and it lasts more than three or four minutes, they're cut off anyway. But maybe I'm not quite understanding your, your question. But I think um, the important thing is to be able to let people know in the program that you do have, when it's appropriate, that you do have bipolar so that other people with bipolar can reach out to you and you can give them your experience, strength, and hope. Uh, many people in the program, in English, we call it dual diagnosis, is more than one illness. Uh, very rare. You only have one addiction or just one illness. And bipolar is and depression is one of those many things that tend to that people tend to have in recovery besides just their addiction. So, I, I hope I got close to your answer, but I wasn't quite, quite sure. Next question, please.
3: Go ahead, Mikhail.
7: Okay. Um, thank you, Harvey. I've really been enjoying this series. Um, I just want to ask a specific question. I come from a very religious family. Um, I've been in the program for three years, and I've been so far it's all been undercover. And I did disclose to one of my younger brothers um, who was going through a difficult time. I suspected there might have been an issue. Um, turns out it wasn't, but I was able to disclose to him. However, my, my parents are very religious, my father in particular. And over, over time, I've heard people say what you've been saying about how it's very important to be honest and other people might be struggling with these sort of things. But I know that if I uh, – at least I suspect that if I – Open to my father that I'm a chronic pornography addict, even though thank God I'm a sober. A year, it would be absolutely devastating to him. He would blame himself for having internet at home and all those various sort of things. And it isn't clear to me what benefit in causing him that in causing him that pain. I mean, is, I mean, the only reason I can really think of is it just I'm being dishonest. I'm hard. I'm hiding a large part of my life from him, and just. I mean, he does know that I go to these meetings. Now I know that I spend a large part of my day on Zoom for no apparent reason. So I know that it would be a definite harm, at least I, I think it might be, to, to, to disclose to him because he would blame himself for a lot of what I've been through. So the question, I, I just, I don't know. What, just, what, what do you think about that, my server situation? Is there a benefit to me still disclosing to him anyway, even though it might be a potential harm to him?
1: If he's not asking you, there's not a big deal. If he apparently already knows, if he's not asking him, <laughs> Why you're on Zoom so much and you disappear from meetings. Um, one day you might ask him, Dad, would you like to know where I'm going? And if he ever says yes, if you ever decide to ask him, you could say, I really want a religious life in my brain as well as in my body. And that this program really helps me with keeping my my thoughts clear.
7: But so you're saying not, I should not volunteer the information.
1: If he's not asking, I don't know why it comes would come up but chances are we think people just don't know but it's people don't know quite the details but usually they know something's not right and if they see you're getting better anyway They're probably just real pleased and they don't have to know a whole lot until they ask. Now, if one of your family members is having a problem, and I've seen this happen where someone's brother had a problem and he had to go to another country to help him. And when he came back, I said, oh, did you tell him your story? And he said, oh, no, he might have told my family. That would be terrible. In the meantime, his brother wasn't getting any help. I do want to answer another part. Uh, It's the part of our program of letting go of being God. See, addicts have trouble getting God. This yes, we play God. So what does that mean? You know, in the AA book, it says, first we had to stop playing God. It means you've already mind read what he's gonna think and blame it on himself, that because you had an internet, he caused your problem. Okay? That's mind reading. Uh, You might be 100% right. But then again, you might be 100% not able to read his mind. Because for all you know, he has the internet because he was watching pornography. You have no way of knowing. This is a family disease. It tends to run in families. But if it's not broken, don't fix it. (laughs) That's what was always told to me. Any other questions?
7: Thank you.
0: I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.